to Soul Roadmap Podcast. Each week, you'll hear strategies and inspiration to take action and live life better. Hi, I'm Dina Cataldo, lawyer, coach, and entrepreneur. This podcast is your roadmap to creating more success in your life, business, and relationships. Let's get started. Hi there. Thanks for joining me on the very first episode of Soul Roadmap. I wanted to create a podcast because I am a podcast addict and I am constantly searching for something to listen to at home or on my commute that's going to give me a valuable takeaway. That's my aim here. I want to bring you strategies and tips from amazing guests, and I'm going to bring you mini lessons that'll give you something to think about and take action on too, so you can live your best life. Today, I'm talking with a guest about money. I don't know about you, but I was taught that it was impolite to talk about money. Well, that changes today. You don't want to miss this interview, whether you're in debt, building wealth, or don't know what to do with your money, there is something here for you. Even if you think you have it all together, I am encouraging you to listen today. The reason I am is because our money life is a direct reflection of the rest of our life. If our money life is out of order, then there are areas in our life that we can't see that are out of order too. But before I tell you about our guest today, I want to tell you something else I'm excited about. During the week of May 31st to June 6th, you'll be able to enter to win a grand prize free coaching package with me and some of my favorite books. To learn more, watch my Insta stories at Dina.Cataldo and Facebook Lives in the Soul Roadmap group at Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Soul Roadmap. I'm posting each day this week. The sooner you get involved, the more opportunities you will have to win. So get in on this. I'll also post everything you need to know in the show notes. You can learn more about this at dinacataldo.com forward slash episode one. Now let's get to our guest. Dina Isola is a writer and the founder of Real Smartica, an online personal finance education resource. She works with her husband, Tony, helping people meet their financial goals and oversee $90 million in client assets. She has over 30 years of experience in the financial industry and strives to make financial issues relatable to women, children, and families so they can manage their own finances, build wealth, and not fall prey to those who may not have their best interests at heart. She's a co-host of the Planning to Teach and Retire Rich podcast and has been featured on MarketWatch.com and 403BWise.com. She's also created a special checklist for you to get your finances in order, and it'll be posted in the show notes as well. So go to dinacataldo.com forward slash episode one to grab it. Now let's dive in. Hi, Dina. How are you doing this morning? Great, Dina. Nice to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's really nice to to meet you. I know we've had a little communication, you know, before this and and via email, but I'm glad that listeners are going to have an opportunity to hear what you have to say because it's really important. I'm I'm thrilled to be able to share this with women because it's so incredibly important to their long-term well-being, mentally and financially. Now, there might be some men listening too, and that's great because this is something everybody needs to learn, everybody needs to get comfortable with, and I feel like money is not something that we have created a big conversation around to make everybody comfortable talking about it. So that's part of 
why I love that you're here today is because you're going to help break some of those barriers and maybe get us into feeling more comfortable about dealing with our money. Absolutely. And, and the problem is too, the industry itself, the financial industry kind of likes to keep people in the dark. Um, and they do this by using jargon and, and things that make others feel ignorant and embarrassed to ask a question because now you don't understand what they're saying back to you. Hey, so it's not yeah. just me then. So no, it's not, it's not. Um, you have to understand most of the financial industry works in a sales model. And because of that, you know, the object is to make the salesperson valuable. And the only way the salesperson is really valuable to you is if you don't understand, you know, it's like you're an attorney, correct? Right. So if somebody wants to read a legal document, you need to go to the attorney because regular English isn't going to cut it. If you're reading it, you have to know the nuances of that language to really understand if something's worded well, worded in your best interest, right? So you would go to an attorney. You would not do that on your own. Finance is kind of the same thing. So you, but unfortunately you go to a salesperson and a lot of times they have a conflicted business model and that's where the problems come in. Because when you're getting advice from somebody who's not a fiduciary, like an attorney is, where they're looking out for your best interest, they can now steer you. So, you know, I want to empower people, men and women, to be able to look out for themselves so they don't get steered, so they know what options they have and what makes best sense for them. And today we're going we're gonna to get into some things that you're going to um, give them, give us, to help us manage our money and make sure we're doing it right. But I want to talk a little bit about your personal story because I know a little bit about it and you, you have a very vested interest in making money matters easy for people. Yes. Um, and it comes from a personal uh, experience. I actually started out in this industry as a writer. Uh, I am a writer and I really didn't want to be in the financial industry, to be honest with you. It wasn't my calling, but I was able to get a job writing. And in doing so, I picked up some things. I worked really for sales models, what I'm, what I've just referred to as, as that conflicted model. And in the process of this, my father became ill and my father was really good investor on his own. We never talked about money really. Um, but I knew he liked to invest. And when he got sick, unfortunately it was Alzheimer's disease. So, um, it really affected his ability to do what he had been doing so well for so long. And my mother was now left with caregiving and she was also left with handling the finances. And there was a lot at stake. You know, it was his care. Um, she wanted to care for him at home and that costs a lot of money, a lot, you know, insurance isn't covering those kinds of expenses. So um, I said to her, let me see what people are recommending you do. And I was appalled by the fees that they wanted to charge her. I was appalled by the, just the strategy or lack thereof. And I thought, my God, you know, if she didn't know any better, she, she would have gone with this person. She didn't have me to ask. So I set about helping her. My husband and I both, you know, liked to invest, but you know, it was really more my husband who was more the investor. I just was the communicator. So we sat down and we dove into their portfolio. We rejiggered things. We took care of it. And it really, you know, took such a burden off of her mind. And she said, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have you to do this. And at the end of all of this, I said to my husband, you know something, this is a business. People don't have access to this where someone actually cares. 
They actually care that you get where you're going. They understand the stakes. And in his case, the stakes were really, really high. Um, and in her case, the stakes were high too. She was seven years younger. And all I kept thinking is if this doesn't work and his money gets depleted, what happens to her when she's his age, when she's in her late eighties, when she needs care now, what? So, um, you know, when you're working with a fiduciary and that's what we are, um, and we intentionally chose that model, you know, you just put that person's interest ahead of yours. It's that clean and simple. And I felt so strongly about it because if someone else had been working with her, I guarantee you that's not what the experience would have been. Oh, that is so, that is so amazing. It's amazing. It's just, I have, um, I have, um, personal experience with this just because my, my father passed in December and my dad was in charge of all the money and my mom never touched it and she wasn't very interested in it. It wasn't something that she managed much at all. Maybe she balanced the checkbook every so often just so she like knew what was happening, but she didn't get involved in any of of the stocks or anything like that. And so when he got sick, I reviewed everything. I had to take over everything. And then I didn't, I didn't want that responsibility. So I have, you know, since turned it over to her and, but I just, it is, um, we have these stocks and I'm like, I don't want to look at them. Like, I'm just like, I don't want to look at them. I don't want to deal with them. They're just there. So, um, yeah, this is, this is great for me too. Cause I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot. Yeah. I I've done this for clients. I've done this for many people, for friends. Now, when ultimately my dad passed, um, 13 years, 14 years ago, and my mother passed just about almost, uh, three years ago. And when she passed, you know, I was now handling the final roundup of everything, um, for my, for my entire family. And it felt so different. And it was, it almost felt like, ugh, like I have this, this basket and I really don't want this basket. I, I, what I really want is my mother. And so this felt kind of dirty. There's no other way for me to describe it. It was kind of like, this is your consolation prize. And um, while most people would have been thrilled, you know, oh, wow, you, you, you came into some money. It's not at all how I felt. And I dragged, when I tell you, I dragged my feet. And I, I have six brothers and, and sisters, right? So there's, I'm one of seven. And they all knew I was taking care of it. And thank God they were very understanding. Because, you know, they kept saying, is there anything we can do to help? And it was just like, ugh. This is like the final, this for me was the final burial and I just wasn't ready to let it go. It was, it was very painful to, to, to wrap this up. It really was. And I dragged, dragged on. I would have never done this for a client incidentally, you know, because my emotions weren't, my emotions aren't in it the same way when it's your, when it's your mom. I mean, it's, there's nothing really, you know, there are few people that are going to hit that pulse point like your mother, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was a learning experience. I thought, wow, here I thought I could be cold about money and just kind of logical. But no, when, when emotions come into play, that's where people get into trouble with money. It, it, it's a hard thing to manage. So maybe that's a good place to start with this is if, if um, now we're talking about a very special circumstance where we're dealing with uh, a parent with parents and a lot of us have aging parents and parents that we're taking care of and they have finances and maybe they don't handle them the best. Do you have any 
tips for people who may be going through something like that? Yeah, I mean, that is such, I get asked that a lot. Um, People want to know how to broach the subject with their parents um, because it's kind of like, you know, it could look like you're asking for their money or you are trying to insert yourself into places where they're not ready to have you. So you have to be very, very careful in your approach. Um, I just recently was telling someone, look, do you have these things taken care of yourself? You know, do you have adorable power of attorney, right? Everyone should have adorable power of attorney, which allows someone to act on your behalf in the event you become incapacitated. That applies to anybody. That's not age specific, right? I mean, you could fall into a coma, right? So I'll say to somebody, look, you know, before you get on your parents' back, make sure you have these things in a row and then say, hey, look, I just took care of this. This is really important. This isn't an age thing. I'm not saying, you know, you're, you're getting ready to go to the great beyond, um, but be prepared. So one of the things is making sure that you have all the beneficiaries properly titled on your IRA accounts, that you have your will set up, that you have these durable power of attorney. You could start the conversation in that regard, kind of wade in with the, the basic things that we know we need. And then from there, say, look, you know, in the event something were to happen, do you have a plan? How do you want me to look out for mom? Or how do you want me to look out for dad? What do you need from me? And put it in their court. But you have to be very respectful because sometimes, too, it's a generational thing where, you know, you don't talk about money, right? So um, it's not something, there's no right answer here. You, you know, people have to know their family members and what their sensitivities are. Um, but, but that's something that you need to do is is start the conversation, set the example yourself, you know, don't, don't tell somebody how to get their ducks in a row if yours aren't yet. If that makes sense. That's good advice. That is really good advice. Uh, okay. So I'm going to ask you some questions about getting our own houses in order. Um, but one of the things that I did want to talk about, and I wanted your thoughts on this is that. It is very much a generational thing. I think, you know, 30 years ago, we were not talking about money. No one talked about their income levels, anything like that. And even now, there are a few people in the online space, you know, if you're familiar with people like Pat Flynn, um, and they, they will share their income levels, they will talk about those things. And it's, really new and exciting for people to see that model and see where their income is coming from. But I mean, my, my information is like, you know, it's very interesting when you're talking to other people, we don't bring that up. So what's your net worth? What, you know, how much are you making? And, um, and that's another thing that I've often heard is people who have money talk about themselves in terms of net worth versus people who don't feel that they have very much may talk about uh, their money in terms of um, how much they make, how much is, is coming in. Uh, So maybe we could just kind of break that down into your thoughts about how people are talking about money and how, or, or how we should be talking about money. Net worth really does make the most sense because I think we all know it really doesn't matter what you earn. It really matters what you keep at the end of the day. Somebody could earn $100,000, but they could be spending $150,000. So they're actually, while they have a a nice income, they're actually at a deficit 
right? So, you know, and people put a lot of stock in their homes, for example, they'll say that my house is my biggest investment. Well, your house costs you a lot of money. If you factor out what you spend on your home between heating and maintenance and, and, you know, all the utilities, and you factor that out at the end of the day, really, you know, and inflation, you, you add all these things up, your home really shouldn't be your biggest investment mm-hmm. because it costs you money. Investments actually pay you. They pay you whether you get out of bed in the morning, <laughs> they pay you whether you're sick, whether you're healthy, they pay you, right? The house requires that you're, you're continually shelling out. So I'd, I'd like people to kind of reframe that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't invest in your home, that you shouldn't make it the place you want to be, that you shouldn't make it comfortable and enjoyable. But I think that when you look at assets, what you invest to the side, what buys you freedom, a house doesn't really buy you freedom. To get out of a house is kind of a pain in the neck, right? You've got, you've got to find a buyer. You've got to go through all these things and hope to God it goes through smoothly without a problem, right? When you own securities, you can sell them. You can sell them that day. They, you know, if, you, if you're buying the right kind, if you're buying liquid securities, you can be in and out as you need be. You're not shackled, right? So a house is, is not the easiest of assets to own. I'm not saying people shouldn't own real estate, but just keep that in mind. That, that I think, is a big shift people need to make. You know, your home is, is an investment in your life, right, in, in, in how you enjoy your life, but that's not necessarily, you know, the, the big factor in your net worth. You should be putting money to the side. You should make sure that whatever you're earning, you're trying to, to stow away like 20% of it if you can. And if you can't do 20, work your way up to it. But you need a plan. If you don't, if you're going about this directionless, right, you're never going to increase your net worth. You, 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 you know, you set accountability, right, for, for your clients without some sort of guideline. I want to increase what I'm saving by X percent. I want X amount in the account by this date. Without that, you know, you're just, you're just being um, vague and, and vague goals don't get you where you're going. Yes. Vague goals don't get where you're going. That's right. Uh, So when you start talking to a potential client, how do you get them clear on their goals and where they want to go? What kind of questions do you ask? What kind of questions can listeners ask themselves so that they can get really clear and that they can start creating a game plan? Sure. First, you have to take inventory of where you're at, right? So how much you're putting away, where it is at. You'd be surprised how many people don't even know that, where their accounts are, what their accounts are invested in. So just kind of knowing where you are, a snapshot, a baseline, this is where I'm at. Then you need to look at where what your goal is. You may have several goals, different timeframes for these goals, right? You might want to buy a home in five years. You might want to retire in 20 years. So all these different goals, you kind of have to have their own little timeline because a five-year goal is very, very different from a 20 or 30-year goal in in how you treat the money, right? If you have a five-year goal, you're looking at something that you want to be kept in cash. You, The market is so volatile that five years is too short of a time frame you might end up with your value cut in half. You can't tolerate that if you know your goal is coming up. But if retirement's way out into the future, then the, that up and down, that's not going to bother you. In fact, you're going to buy when things go down and, and you'll, be, you'll be just fine. So, you know, understanding that your goals have different timelines, that's important too. So I try to solidify with a client where, what is important to you? What is the money for? Let's not 
look at this as counting coins and bills because that is, um, to me, that's useless, right? Money is just currency. It's what it's buying you, whether it's buying you freedom from a job you hate, from a life you hate, um, whether it's, you know, wanting that family vacation with the extended generations, it's something you've dreamed about, whatever it is, whatever rings your bell, that's, that's what the money needs to be earmarked for, to buy you the freedom to choose when and how you do these things. What are some of the common roadblocks you see when you're talking to people, like their mindset around money, their mindset about um, their abilities to handle money? What kind of things do you see? Well, I'll tell you, with women in particular, the ability becomes becomes incredibly um, important. They feel inferior. They feel like they're challenged at math, even though this is basic math. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, everything that you've learned probably from third grade on, right? Yeah. There's this, 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 um, this complex that they, that they're, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. And so that is definitely a really, it's a hard, hard roadblock to get them to overcome. Um, it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be complicated math. It really doesn't. It's about setting your goals and being very clear about them and then breaking it down. Kind of like exactly what you would do for a client, right? If you say, if you want to be accountable, break it, break it down and then measure whether or not you're hitting that goal. That's, that's really the easiest way to do it. The other thing that people try to do is they either are over, you know, you have that, that's the one extreme, right? The the person who lacks confidence. Then there's the person who's overconfident which is a little, that's actually scarier in my opinion. And I'll tell you why. The overconfident person thinks that, you know, investing is like a crapshoot. It's it's like going to horse races and they're just going to, you know, plunk down their money and pick the winner and, you know, they're going to hit the big payoff. And if you invest like that, you're going to lose a lot of money because really good investing is really boring. It's very, very, very boring. It's very strategic. It's very measured. It's very disciplined. That's the opposite of that. And what happens, the worst thing that could happen to somebody who's overconfident is they could get lucky. They could, they could at the first shot, buy a stock or something that goes way the heck up, and now they think they're a genius. They think they've mastered something that honestly was sheer luck. It was like lightning struck, you know, and they, yeah. and they, they, they made out, but now they think, um, I know what I'm doing and no, you don't know what you're doing. You just got lucky. So, um, and they, a lot of times they, they tend to be very intelligent in whatever their sphere of expertise is. Right. So if they're, you know, if they're a, an engineer or a doctor, whatever it is, right. They're really competent, really bright. And they think because they're so, so bright there that it bleeds into other areas. Right. And it just doesn't like, you know, my, my husband is one of the smartest guys I know. And if I asked him to like do anything around the house, like rewire, he'd blow the house up (laughs) and he knows that. So we don't do what we're not good at. You get somebody who's good at the things, know what you don't know, because that will get you into trouble too. That will really get you into trouble. So true. (laughs) One of the things that I've been working on around my money mindset is how I talk about money because oftentimes I'll find myself before saying things like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm not good at this. Or, you know, oh, what a hassle, you know, but now I'm trying to 
reframe that for myself and say, you know what, this is easy. Even if I don't feel that way at the time, I'll say, you know what, this is easy. I'm just going to do it. This is easy. I can do this. You know, it's just that simple change to help me get past those blocks that I have because I notice them. I notice that I don't, I don't want to handle the money. I want it to just take care of itself, which, you know, it's not going to do that. You have to manage it. You have to watch it. And what your attention is on will grow. You know, what you focus on will expand. So that's my mindset, how I've been working with it, including some additional things like um, talking about money in a really kind way. I heard uh, somebody say something recently when you're working with your money, treat it like you're having a relationship with a human being. Uh, treat it as if you care about it and it will care for you. So do you have anything, any uh, thoughts around that or any of your own tips? Yeah, I right. You know, getting back to goal setting, that's why the goal setting is so incredibly important, right? If you get clear on what the money is for, and now it's not just money. Now it's your dream. It's whatever you're aspiring to, you know, and, and I'll give you a, a big example. When, when I, uh, when my husband and I were first married, my husband was just starting out in his career. He had, he'd made a career change and he was teaching. He was earning significantly less than I was. And um, ultimately we wanted to have a family and I wanted that freedom to be able to stay home. If I, so if that was what I wanted to do and I didn't know how long I'd want to do that for maybe a month maybe 10 years. I I didn't know. And it was really scary to me because his income was a lot less than my income. So we sat down and he said to me, what's your goal? And I said, my goal is to be able to stay home for as long as I want or not at all, whatever I want to do. And can we do that? And he's like, if that's the goal, yeah, we just have to wait a little while, but yes, we can do that. And so we set about a plan where we lived off of his income which was significantly less, and we were investing my income. And that included raises, that included bonuses. I, you know, I was in a very high paying industry, you know? And so many people would have said, let's upgrade the house. Let's upgrade the car. Let's, you know, whatever, whatever. And we didn't do that. I I changed jobs. I got a 40% increase. Same thing. We lived the same way. And the reason why we were able to live the same way is because that goal was my top goal. And I knew and that was what my heart wanted. And I wanted that freedom. And guess what? At the end of the day, we finally end up, uh, I, I get pregnant and it's a, it's a bad pregnancy. It's a really bad pregnancy. I end up on bed rest, uh, you know, all these things. And the boys, I, I, it was a twin pregnancy and ended up delivering to a full two months early. Oh, and wow. by the time I by the time they were ready to come home from the hospital, they spent you know, two and a half weeks in, in NICU. Um, by the time they came home, my leave was up with work and I would have had to go back to work. And, and they were on apnea monitors. They were on all kinds of, you know, gizmos of things because they were so premature. And, you know, we had set this up. I, I wasn't sweating a thing because I knew I wasn't going back. They didn't know I wasn't going back but I knew I wasn't going back and I, I bought my freedom and that's really all I wanted. Now for somebody, it might be a vacation home. You know, I'm not saying that my goals should be anyone else's goals, but when you attach a goal to what that money is for, 
Now, when you're tempted to do something that's not moving you toward that goal, it causes you to reassess. Is that really your goal? Right? Do I really want that? And this distraction, is this really worth me derailing myself? And it might, it might not, but at least it gets you thinking. It gets you cognizant about what you're doing with your money and why you're doing it. So it's now a relationship, like you said, like I, I, I'm heading toward you or I'm heading toward you, which is it? You know, you, you, can't, <laughs> you, you can't do that, right? So um, it's really important to set those goals, but to really not someone else's goals, not what you think you're supposed to be doing, not what society is telling you, not what your family is telling you, what is in your heart? And I think you probably more than anyone, you know, in, in looking at your bio, you know, following your path, following what, you know, suddenly clouds part and you say, wow, this is what's important to me. You know, this takes time. You have to really give yourself the space to find that because without that, you're just either stockpiling money or you're blowing through it. Either way, it's not serving you. And, and I don't know about you, but I work hard and I want my money to serve my interests, not you know, just not my wins, you know? Right. Oh, that's, it's so important to get really clear and focused on what you're working for, what you're going towards. I, you know, I'm still getting clear, you know, I, you know, you think you're clear and then you, you shift, maybe you have a different goal or maybe in my particular instance, I didn't really have much of a goal. It was just, okay, work hard, make money. And then what, you know, like the money's supposed to buy you security. Uh, It was, it was never a situation where at least for me growing up, we talked about, okay, what is your ultimate goal? What are you, what are you looking towards? What do you want to have this money for? It was always, you just work, work, work. And then one day you'll be able to enjoy everything. What I see is people do that, right? They, they work, 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 and they're, they save aggressively. And they usually come start from like very regular, normal means, maybe even, even lower means where they've really had to work and they've really sacrificed. Um, you know, they, they've lived in tiny apartments and they've eaten peanut butter sandwiches, you know, the, the whole, you know, raise their kids in a, in a one bedroom, <laughs> you know. And, and they cannot believe that they've acquired what they've acquired. They can't believe that they've amassed what they've amassed because they never earned a high salary, but they were really good at saving because they always felt insecure that, that at any given moment, something, you know, a bottom could drop out and they wouldn't be able to pay for the health care or whatever, whatever it is that kept them up at night. So now they have this pile of money and they're terrified to spend it. And it's like, no, you, you've reached your goal. You're, you're retired and you can now spend it. And sometimes we actually have to tell clients like, no, go take that trip. Yes. Upgrade, upgrade that trip. And you know, and it's, but see, here's the thing. It's like, it's like a muscle that they built and their muscle is restraint. And now that they have it, it's hard for them to enjoy it. Well, then Let's talk about the opposite end of the spectrum um, on that one, because then there's people who are on the high income level who are taking in a lot of money and it's going right back out. They're not saving that money. Instead, it's like, I'm going to get more. I mean, why do I have to, you know, think about it? I'm just going to keep getting it. What do you have to say to them? I see that more often than not. The, 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 The less 
the least likely people come into me with a good amount of money saved from re- earning regular wages, nothing really out, you know, nothing, no six figure bonuses, no, no craziness, right? The ones that earn a lot, you're, you're absolutely right. They, they think, wow, I'm earning this high income. And so I have this lifestyle. And meanwhile, it's like, well, reality check, your lifestyle is actually more expensive than what you're bringing in. Like you're at a deficit or you're pretty darn close, or you, you don't even have nearly what you should have saved. You're squandering the money. So yes, reining them in is really important. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm very honest with them. Like, you know, you should have more saved. You, you need more saved or you're going to be working longer. It's, it's one or the other. What kind of tips do you have? Because I mean, I've been in this position. So what kind of tips do you have for people who are making a lot of money, but aren't necessarily watching where it's going instead, they're just confident they're going to keep making more. What kind of um, advice would you give them? No one likes the word budget, right? It kind of feels like the word diet. It's, it sounds like you're going to deprive yourself. So I'm not going to use the word budget, but I will say this, pay yourself first. If you take money right off the top and you put it away, before you pay any bill, before you pay your mortgage, your cable bill, your phone bill, whatever, whatever bills you have, pay yourself first. You take that 20% and you put it to the side. If you can do more, do more. And that includes retirement plans that people have at work. So if you have a 401k, right? And you can put in 10% and you put in 10% and the company's matching three, guess what? You've now already hit 13. Now you just have to come up with an extra seven over the course of the year, which actually isn't so bad. When you divide it by 12, you can usually skin that cat. You have to look at it that way, that you can put money away gradually, but pay yourself first. Treat yourself as vital as any one of those bills. And once you do that, then you know you've taken care of your adult responsibility to yourself. You've paid that bill. Now you're going to pay. Now, if you spend everything that you made, it doesn't matter because guess what? You put away that 20%, you know, and if you can do more, do more. Well, then there's the other thing that a lot of people who are lawyers or doctors or heck, anybody now has to go to college and they have student loans. What do you recommend for them to do? Should they be paying off those student loans first before they start saving? What should they be doing? Well, here's the thing, you know, it, everything depends upon what rate people are paying. So if you, and if you have a very low interest on your, on your loans, then keep the loan. It's not, it's not a problem. But if you're paying a lot of money, like I see this with people with credit cards all the time, right? There's an 18%, 19% charge. And I'll say, look, you know, you've got the 15 grand in your bank account. Just pay it. Just pay the bill. There's something psychological though about them taking that money out of the bank. I'm like, do you understand that if you take that money out and you pay that bill, it's as if you've earned 18% on your money just by not paying that interest rate. So, mm. you know, not all debt is bad. Certainly, you know, student loan debt, that's enriched yourself. That's a good thing. That's not, I don't equate that to a credit card debt, which is just get rid of that. Just get, get, rid, of, get rid of the debt that hasn't done anything for you. You probably don't even remember what you bought on that credit card that you're still paying, you know. 10 years from now, get rid of that debt. The student loan debt though, like I said, the, the rates are usually reasonable and, you know, just pay that off as you can. You know, I wouldn't, if, as long as it's not crippling, if it, you know, if it's crippling you, 
then, you know, then you may need to do some, some other things. You may need to earn more money in order to pay some of that down. So in that particular person's case, someone who doesn't have any credit cards, but maybe has student loan debt and they are making good money, you know, whatever they're doing, still pay yourself first that 20% and then pay what you need to on the, or what you can on the uh, student loan. Yes. And here's the thing too, because the pay yourself, it doesn't have to be an investment account, right? It could be building your emergency fund, which is the line of defense for you not to get into credit card debt, right? So God forbid you lose your job, something should happen. If you have three to six months worth of your income socked away, that gives you some breathing room. That also will help you make better decisions because you won't be frantic when the emergency strikes because you'll know, okay, I have a bit of a cushion. I have a little bit of a window. So, you know, pay the, pay the loan. Yes. Keep current with the loan, but make sure you're putting aside because you need to first build up that emergency fund. Once you've funded that, then you could look at building investments. And I think psychologically, there's something good about building something instead of just constantly paying, paying somebody else, pay yourself. Do you have any um, advice to anyone who's listening on uh, what they need to be doing? We've got, okay, they get clear, they start creating that um, 20% cushion every month, paying themselves first. Is there anything else that you would Uh, tell somebody who's just getting a handle on their finances to do with the, with the 20%, I'd like to give a a quick tip because not everyone is going to be at 20%, right? Somebody starting out, they may say, Oh gosh, I can only do 5%. You know, what can I do? Every time you get a raise, put that increment in to your savings, still live off of what you had been earning. If you can, If you still need a little bit more to live off of, okay, but avoid lifestyle creep. That is a really big problem, right? So you start earning a little bit more and then suddenly you want the more expensive something. You, now you're eating out more. You're, you want a better car. You want, you start before you know it, it starts building up. And that's, that's where there's like a hole in your bucket. And no matter how much you earn, you can't keep up because your appetite keeps increasing. So that, that I think is really important, not to, just to be aware of that, not to allow yourself to start jumping up in your lifestyle once because you're earning more. Try to keep it as simple as possible. And understand, I think the biggest thing that people need to do is understand needs versus wants. Because when you cover your needs, your needs housing, right? Your needs food. That doesn't mean a lobster dinner. That, that would be a want, Right. You know, you know, your need is dinner, but it doesn't have to be filet mignon. So, you know, you have to make those choices, satisfy those needs first. If those are all satisfied and part of that need is that 20% or close to it, then, then worry about your wants. You know, people don't delay their gratification and that's where they get into trouble. Oh my gosh. And we are in such a culture, especially now where it's yeah. like instant gratification. I want that. I can have it. I want it now. Amazon Um, will have it to you by tomorrow morning. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, so many of my friends have Amazon Prime and I had it for a quick second and I realized very soon I was not the person to have Amazon Prime because I was like, oh, you know what? I I need this. And then you browse and you're like, well, I need that and that and that. And then it comes shipped to your door. I'm like, 
whoa, this is not healthy. <laughs> I do not feel good about this. But see, that's great because you were aware and you, you know, it, it's like, look, an, an alcoholic isn't going to want to work in a bar right? If, if they're, if they're recovered, I should say, <laughs> let me put a caveat. <laughs> you say, I need to avoid whatever is going to unravel me and knowing yourself well enough to know what those temptations might be. That's, that's really important. So kudos to you for saying, you know what, this, this is going to get, cause me more trouble than I need and eliminate it. That's great. Well, maybe that can bring some people awareness of their shopping tendencies if if they hear this conversation between us and and they can start to focus more on their goals and what they really want rather than the quick fix. Yes. Yeah, cuz it feels good to shop. Shopping feels wonderful. <laughs> so <laughs> and it's it's easy at least for me to you know forget like hey, I've got these other goals, they're much more important than that really cute purse. Right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. I want listeners to find you. So can you tell us a little bit about where listeners can find you, learn more about what you can offer them? Sure. I blog regularly at realsmartica.com. And in fact, I just put something up there for for lady listeners. So uh, about all the questions that I get asked that people are afraid to admit that they don't know, like what's a stock and what's a bond and things they feel like they should know and they don't know and they're embarrassed. So realsmartica.com is a, is, is a, a basically not a plain English jargon-free zone where I try to break things down so that you can be empowered to make good financial decisions. Oh my gosh, that is perfect. So you should head on over there to realsmartica.com and I will link to that in the show notes. So you will have access to that and you can find what she has to offer. And I understand that you also have a checklist for people who are trying to get their finances squared away. Yes, I put together an investor self-defense checklist, which is really good for avoiding being steered in directions that really aren't going to benefit you, but they'll benefit whoever is steering you. So um, I'm happy to provide that to your listeners. I actually created it just for you. I haven't even released it to my own. On my own <laughs> so I will link to that in the show notes as well. We will put that up. Thank you. Thank you so much. Do you have any parting words? Just, you know, remember that money is just currency. That's all it is. So treat it with, you know, a, a goal in mind so you can stay focused, so you can stay kind of emotionless about it. That's best. And make it work for you. Don't, don't, don't let it work for other people. Let it work for you first and foremost. You're worth it. I like that. Make your money work for you. <laughs> All right. You. Thank you so much, Dina. Thanks for having me. I had fun. Wasn't she cool? After our interview, we chatted about our Sicilian roots and a little bit more about money. And she has a way of breaking down complex concepts so that they're really easy to understand. I let her know if that I get any money questions from you, I'd invite her on again to answer your questions. So if you have any, be sure to ask them in the Soul Roadmap Facebook group or direct message me on Instagram. I'll also link to everything we talked about in the podcast on the website in the show notes at dinacataldo.com forward slash episode one. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Soul Roadmap. If you have a moment, I'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe, 
rate and left an honest review on iTunes. I read every single review, so let me know what you want to hear more or less of, and I'll talk to you next week. 